We are going to jump right in. If you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Malachi. Uh, I'm going to use this week and next week to uh, just do a two-part talk that will wrap up two things. One, our summer in the Minor Prophets, and then two, it'll wrap up uh, the final two chapters of this book. Uh, it's my intention to uh, talk about a couple things that I think um, kind of wrap up even some of the ideas of the Old Testament. And then as we enter into the fall, what I'm really excited about, we're going to be diving into the book of Matthew for an extended period of time, and I'm really looking forward to to us kind of sitting in and digging into uh, the Gospel of Matthew. <clears throat> really quick, I need uh, a volunteer, anyone that would be willing to come up here and read a small little phrase off of a sheet of paper. Any volunteers? And what a, what a participatory audience. Josh, come. All right, this is, uh, I have a document here, okay, pretty thick document. This is the last page of the document. It says page 55 of 55, correct? Read that. You are responsible for all of the legal agreements set out above you, and you acknowledge that all those terms, these govern the full length of the contract. Your signature below signifies your agreement with the terms and services. Perfect. Okay, just your standard final page to a long document. Would you sign that for me? Um. <laughs> a very, very trusting, very trusting person, or very foolish, one of the two. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. Um, this is good. This is good news. Now, um, this long document. Uh, I came across this document a little while ago. Maybe you've uh, come across it as well. It was on my computer. And I was uh, on iTunes, and I happened to uh, sign on. And this, this little thing came up. It says, iTunes terms and conditions have changed. Before you can proceed, you must read and accept the new terms and conditions. I said, okay, click. Next slide comes up, and it says this. I have read and agreed to the iTunes store terms and conditions. Agree. Okay? I didn't read it. I haven't. I've probably agreed to that 20 times over the course of the last year. How many of you have an iTunes account? How many of you, keep your hands up if you've read all 55 pages of the iTunes? <laughs> One of you. Congratulations. <laughs> it, it, it blows me away that, that often, if, we, if I was to ask the question, how many of you would have signed this 55-page document with terms and conditions without ever looking at it, most of us would say, no, I at least want to peruse it a little bit. I at least want to glance over it and see that I'm not giving away my firstborn or entrusting my entire will and inheritance to, to the person that holds the document. Whatever it is, we'd want to look into it a little bit. And what's interesting is the book of Malachi, in many ways, is a uh, a covenant. It's a statement about terms and conditions. And so what we're going to do for just a little bit, instead of diving into just chapter 3, I want to look again at the whole book and kind of give a quick overview of this idea that God and Israel joined together in an agreement. It would be considered a covenant. That they both agreed, and a covenant, obviously, most of us know, just like a lease or rent or any other thing, it's a, a binding document. 
Essentially, both parties have said, I understand the terms and conditions, and I'm ready to push the I agree button. That's, that's what the covenant was about. And in fact, there were two parties that were involved in the covenant, God being the first party and the people of Israel being the second party. So, for all of you uh, historians of the Bible, give me a quick synopsis. What is it that God agreed to when he formed covenants with the people of Israel? What is it that God agreed to? Someone tell me. Okay, that he would bless them. All right, bless them as a nation. What else did he agree to? Okay, multiply them. That they would be as abundant as the sand of the seashore, that they, they would have descendants that would be so numerous. What else? Okay, that he'd never break it. That he'd be faithful to his covenant. That he would adhere to all the terms and conditions. What else? Okay, land. Land was tied to it. Yeah, bless the whole world through them, that as he pours out blessing on the people of Israel, there'd be so much blessing that it would trickle over to all the other nations, and that they would see that Israel's God was the one true God because of the way he blessed and cared for them. They also talk about this idea of just an amazing love, this passionate, hesed love, this faithful, enduring, everlasting love. Love that these are all parts of God's agreement for the people of Israel. It's somewhat like a marriage, where last night I had the privilege of doing a marriage for a couple in this community, and uh, as a, as we're doing the ceremony, I'm remembering all of the the things that I vowed to my wife, and and I'm remembering these statements of that I will be true to you, I will be committed to you, I will protect you, I will love you, I'll support you. I'll be in this relationship with you till death do us part. And that's what God was communicating or saying to the people of Israel. Now, on the people of Israel's side, they also agreed to the terms and conditions. What did they agree to when they agreed to the covenant? You tell me. He's their only God. That they would follow the law. Good. What else? That they would teach their children to follow the ways of Yahweh. That they would love Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. There was this complete understanding by both parties of what the terms of the covenant or the terms of the contract meant. There was this understanding that just like a marriage, that we're going to live into this relationship full out. That we are both going to come as two parties agreeing together to live into this relationship, to live according to what we have just committed, we'll sign on the document. And what we have is the book of Malachi being a a picture, so to speak, of God coming to the people of Israel and saying, hey, we've been married for a little while now, and it would be good for us just to go back through the terms and conditions. Just make sure we're all on the same page. Make sure that I'm holding up my end of the bargain. Let's make sure you're holding up your end of the bargain. And so throughout the book of Malachi, what you see are these amazing statements by God that seem as if, I I would kind of classify them or call them as uh, disgruntled 
lover or disappointed friend kind of statements. And he says some of these things. He says seven phrases throughout the book. Here's a couple of them on, on the screen. He, he comes to them and he says, I've, I've loved you. I've loved you and yet you have not responded back to me in love. Later he says, you despise my name. I thought we were in this together. I thought we were in this for life and yet you despise my name. He said things like, you're just giving me your leftovers. That you're giving me a second best. That you're questioning my loyalty. You can tell in terms of this next phrase that it had to be a relationship. You tire me out with your talking. Like, stop. You're annoying me. He says later, you, you've hurt me with your words. The things you say offend me. And what's so interesting is seven times he makes these statements throughout the book. And seven times the people respond. So when he says, I, I've loved you, they go, how have you loved us? Where? I don't see that. How can you say you've loved us? Later on it says, you, you offend me. How have we offended you? We haven't done anything to offend you. He goes on to say, you're, you're, you're wearing me out with your talking. You're, you're, you're saying words that are hurtful. And they go, we haven't said anything that would hurt you. We don't get it. This makes no sense. And what's so staggering at this point in this discussion or conversation is that they had a bit of what I would say is confusion or indifference about the terms and conditions. That Israel's response was one of confusion or indifference. They basically were saying, and I, I didn't know this is what I signed up for. I hit the I agree button, and I just thought I'd get to listen to my music, and it would be great. I didn't know I signed up for this. So they had this sense of like not fully knowing what they signed up for, even though it was very clear and it was very spelled out, and they had this conversation with God, and they knew what to expect. And they even signed it, and they said, yep, we'll do it. And he goes, no, you can't. And they go, no, we will. And they go, no, you can't. And yes, we will, and we'll do it. They, they knew what they were agreeing to, and yet they find themselves in this place of indifference. That You know what? Yeah, I'm not living up to the terms and conditions, and it doesn't really bother me. So their apathy had kind of set in. The other thing is they, they just had this dumbfounded confusion. Like when God said, you're offending me, and they go, what? We didn't know we offended you. How is that possible? Or you're giving me your leftovers. No, we're not. What is it? And so they had this complete lack of understanding and what it truly looked like. And so God said to them over and over in this text, and Kevin alluded to it last week, that essentially Israel wasn't living up to what they had said. And God highlights a few things in the text. In chapter 1, he says that you're giving me your leftovers. What basically he's saying is you come to me to worship and you give me second best. You come to worship and you give me crippled lambs and moldy bread. What kind of sacrifice is that? You're not all in this relationship. Later he says, you just talk a good game in chapter 3. I mean, you, you talk about your relationship, you talk about this religious thing you do, you keep talking and talking and talking, but there's a problem. Your actions don't match your words. 
So he says in chapter 3, we won't take time to look at it just for sake of time, but he says, I'm going to come and be a refiner's fire. I'm going to, to shape you. I'm going to clean you. I've got soap, and I'm going to scrub you down because your actions are not matching your words. And then later, he says, you're robbing me. You're taking what is mine, and you're withholding it from me. So he lays out all of these things. And, but what's interesting in this text is that God doesn't just say, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. I think sometimes when we think of the Old Testament God, we think of a God who's just coming and all he's saying is, shame on you, you messed up again and I don't like it. But instead, God's approach in this book, and this is why I find this book so fascinating, is he comes and he says, listen, I understand that you haven't lived according to the conditions and terms of this agreement, but let me encourage you with, if you do live according to it, it will be amazing for you. It will be better than you envisioned. It will be all that you dreamed of. But if you don't, instead of just saying, I'm going to destroy you, which you could easily have said, Instead, he says, you know what, I, I don't change. And so I'm going to live according to my end of the bargain, no matter what. But understand that there are effects. There are things that will happen as a result just because you're not going to enjoy it. Not because I'm doing anything to you, but because anytime you're only half in, you end up not enjoying it. Let me give you two quick effects that I think the text points out. The first one is found in chapter 1, and it's this, that the people of God began to understand that if you only go half into this relationship with God, that you end up feeling empty. That you end up feeling empty. So what God is saying is, hey, listen, you're coming to the temple over and over and over again, or in our case, you're coming to worship with the community again and again and again, but you're only going halfway in. That when you come here to the temple, you're giving me crippled lambs. You're only offering just the stuff that you've got left over. You're not fully coming to the table and putting everything, your best, forward. Or if you talk about it in terms of relationship, what he's saying is, we're in this marriage, but I'm giving, and you just kind of don't care. You're indifferent about the relationship. You're only half in. You're only partway committed. And what's interesting, he says in chapter 1, verse 13, God quotes the people. And the people say, exclamation point, oh, what a weariness when they talk about their worship. They say, we offer these sacrifices. Oh, what a weariness. This fatigues us. We're tired. We're we're bored of this. It, it just goes on and on. It's blasé. And I, I, I think sometimes we find ourselves in a similar place where it feels like this relationship with God, this Christianity thing, this thing that I'm supposed to be fully invested in, I don't feel like it's really working out. It's just the benefits aren't that worth it. But what's so interesting about the people of Israel, and I would venture to say might be just as interesting about us, is 
they were not willing to give their best to God. They weren't willing to go all into the relationship, but they weren't willing to walk away from it either. They weren't willing just to say, you know, scrap it. But they didn't go all in. And when they didn't go all in, what I think they began to feel, and what I would venture to say I have felt many times in my relationship with God, and maybe you've been in that same place, is you begin to just feel empty. It's like uh, if a couple, if we pulled a couple up front and they were dating and we said, hey, how's your end of the relationship going? And the person that we're talking to is investing everything into this relationship, cares about the relationship more than anything else. We, we'd ask and they would go, man, it's so good because I'm diving in. The other one would go, man, I could care less about them. I'm just kind of hanging on, you know. It's just not really worth it at this point, but I don't want to get out of the relationship. There's benefits, and you know, but I'm just kind of where I'm at. Well, we would go, man, the disparity between the two, the, the emptiness, the hollowness of that relationship, it just it can't be what it was intended to be. We would say the same thing about a marriage. There are marriages all across our country where one party is invested and the other person just kind of is going through the motions, and you know what? It makes for a hollow it makes for a marriage that doesn't have friendship. It really, it's just two people that occupy the same room. Your roommates. If it happened with a friendship, the list goes on and on. We would say, man, that kind of relationship will always leave you feeling empty. And what God communicates to the people of Israel here is the same. That if you go in half, effort. If all you do is give me second best, all you're going to get out of it is emptiness. And so he says to them in chapter 3, listen, the son of righteousness will come, and when he comes, this is what he'll say about you. He says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. What he's basically saying is, listen, if you go all in and you honor me when I come, when I show up on the scene, you will see a side of this relationship you've never seen before. It will be more than you imagined in the now and in the future. The second thing that God highlights in chapter 3 is this, that if you don't go all in, you miss the blessing. If you don't go all in, you miss the blessing. Now, what's interesting is God says to the people of Israel in chapter 3 here, he says, you've been robbing me. He starts to talk to them about their generosity or their lack of generosity, their lack of giving. And so he says, you, you haven't been generous, you've been withholding from me. And uh, there's complications to that because it's really affecting the community at large. God says it this way. If you look in chapter 3, he says, For I, the Lord, do not change, verse 6, Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, said the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? So God says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. 
Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, said the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God's talking about this issue of giving or generosity and talking about how they've been withholding. Now, today is not the day to get into this whole discussion on tithing or giving or, or how you use your resources. I know that some would love to hear, is it 10%? Is it not 10%? What does God do for cheerful givers? What does he do for sad givers? Um, you know, is the Old Testament different than the New Testament in terms of giving? And do we have to give more now or less? Do I have to give 10 to the church? And then if I want to support someone, give on top of that? Or can I just slide that into the 10? I mean, do I get tax benefit for that too? What, I mean, how does this all play out? I mean, I, I think this is not the time for that because this isn't really the point of that. The point of this is God says, hey, listen, you're again only going half effort in. And anytime you go half effort in, what you're doing in essence is robbing me. That I have provided for you, I've given you these resources, I, I've, I've poured out abundantly on you, and when you don't give, what he's saying is you're, you're a couple things. One, the needs aren't being met. So in their community, when the, the resources came in, the church or the temple was able to distribute those to meet needs, of ministries to meet needs, of the widows, the orphans, the list goes on and on. And they said, well, now we don't have the resources available to do that. The second thing is this. It's really an issue of trust. God is, is going at the issue of do you serve me or do you serve someone or something else. And you can tell by how much you dive into the relationship. And so, for those of us who are at that place where we're just going, man, how, how can I tell with my money? I, I think money really, I'm just going to kind of wrap up with this. There's two things that uh, Tom mentioned, don't let money ever own you. I think money begins to own us when we find our freedom or our security in it. So generally, when we want to hold on to resources and be less generous, it's because of those reasons and probably a bunch more. But freedom being one of them where if I have resources, I get to decide what I want to do with them. I get to decide where I go, when I go, how I go. I get what I want when I want. And I don't have to depend on anyone. It gives me this freedom. I don't need to depend on you because I can take care of myself. So I'll just step away from you being the community of faith or you being God, because I've got my own back. It's the same with security. The security, I, I don't have to fear, I don't have to worry, not because God has my back, but because I've got my bank account, I've got my trust fund, I've got my 401k, I've got whatever it is I need, so I don't need to depend. And the issue here that God is getting after is this issue of trust. What, what are you consumed with? Are you consumed with me, or are you consumed with something else. And so God is getting at the heart of the people and saying, hey, listen, if you only go half in, you end up feeling empty. But also, if you only go half in, you only get part of the blessing. If you go all in, I will heap blessing on you. And he says, test me. What's so interesting about that is all throughout the Bible, read it, Tell me if I'm wrong, but all throughout the Bible, he says over and over and over and over, do not put the Lord your God to the test, period. Over and over and over. And then he says one time in all of Scripture, 
put me to the test. And the only time he says it is with generosity. Be generous. Give. And when you do, test me. See what happens. And I'm convinced because of personal experience, but because I've talked to many of you. When you do that, he never disappoints. He pours out abundant blessing. But it requires going all in. And I think the point of this morning, if you get nothing else, is this. That all of us have signed up to certain terms and conditions. We've all hit the I agree button, or at least many of us have. And once you have, if you only live into that part way, you will end up feeling hollow. You'll end up feeling less blessed. But if you go all in, if you read all 55 pages, and if you invest in that relationship, what you end up having is this blessing. And this next week, what we're going to talk about is what that blessing looks like. Because God takes something that is less than ideal and turns it into beautiful. And that's kind of how he wraps up the Old Testament and leads us into the New Testament. So pray with me.